But take your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11, beginning with verse 1. A pastor once shared this humorous story from the Reader's Digest with his congregation. He said a messenger at a photo lab was leaving a building one day when his beeper went off. The message instructed him to pick up the package at an unfamiliar company with a 12-syllable tongue-twisting name. The messenger looked skyward and said, God, where am I supposed to go? Just then, the pager came on again, this time with the client's address. A man nearby witnessed this scene. Raising his arms to heavens, he cried, Why don't you ever answer me like that? Well, you know, in our prayers, we often quit because we don't see a lot of answers. Frankly, I think sometimes we're just not prayer warriors, as we should be. However, the following words from Jesus give encouragement to remain faithful. So I want you to look with me at what he had to say, beginning with verse 1. Our concentration will be primarily on verses 5 to 13, but the context here is so important. Starting with verse 1, it happened that while Jesus was praying in a certain place, after he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John also taught his disciples. And he said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves also forgive everyone who is indebted to us, and lead us not into temptation. Then he said to them, Suppose one of you had a friend, and goes to him at midnight and says to him, Friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has come to me from a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And from inside he answers and says, Do not bother me. The door has already been shut, and my children and I are in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives, and he who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. Now suppose one of you fathers is asked by his son for a fish. He will not give him a snake instead of a fish, will he? Or if he is asked for an egg, he will not give him a scorpion, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? May God add His blessing uh, to the reading of His Word. The setting of this passage is a time when Jesus was praying. The disciples had seen Him pray on a number of occasions. And so this gave these men an opportunity to ask him to teach them how to pray. 
And as you can see, Jesus began by recounting much of the pattern of prayer he had already spoken about in the Sermon on the Mount. You see that in Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 to 13. And that pattern is, first of all, worship to God. Father, hallowed be your name. Followed by supplication for both physical and spiritual needs according to the will of God. And then the master here followed this up by sharing a little parable on how to approach God. And we see that there in verses 5 to 8. It's a simple story about a man whose friend had come to his house late at night and being a good host, he wanted to feed him. But he had nothing to offer. Hospitality was big in that culture. And so, yes, if you didn't have something to eat, it was serious. And so believing to be in a desperate situation, he went to another friend at midnight for help. And you see that there in verses 5 to 7, where Jesus said in the parable, then he said, suppose one of you has a friend and goes to him at midnight and says to him, friend, lend me three loaves. And from inside he answers and says, do not bother me. The door has already been shut and my children and I are in bed and I cannot get up and give you anything. In those days, the family usually just slept in one room. And so when commotion was happening from one person, it disturbed the rest of them in the house. But what is implied here is that that man did not leave. He persisted. And so what you have here in verse 8 is Jesus presenting the moral of the story, which is the whole point of this passage there in verse 8. Notice what he says. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give him anything because he is a friend, yet because of his persistence, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. That word translated there, persistence or importunity, impudence, as some translations have, literally means shamelessness. And in this context, being bold. That is not being ashamed to leave until you receive what is needed. That's the idea here. Well, in verses 9 and 10, the Lord went on to apply that premise for prayer, followed by encouraging instruction there in verses 11 to 13. Now, beloved, let me ask you this question. Do you pray to your God with boldness? Coming to him as desperate beggars, trusting him alone, looking to him regularly to meet your deepest needs? Just ask yourself that this morning. Are you bold in prayer? Or is there reluctance? Yeah, probably there is reluctance. Maybe more than we like to admit. It's possible that you don't pray much because of a lack of love for God. Or because you are spiritually lazy. Or because you are self-sufficient. Or because you don't get what you want from the Lord when you ask. And just saying that, I, I'm reminded of what it says in James 4, 2 and 3. Just listen to this. You do not have because you do not ask. All right. You ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives. So that you may spend it on your pleasures. So you have to keep that all in mind. 
Also, it may be that you think because God is sovereign, there's no need to pray. I mean, everything is going to work out all right in the end anyway, so why pray? Well, let me just say this. God is sovereign, all right? There's no question about that. But He ordains the ends as well as the means. Yes, from beginning to end, it's all in God's hands. But He also determines the means by which things happen. And one of those is prayer. And by the way, we're commanded to pray, are we not? I mean, over and over in Scripture. So there is no excuse, no matter what. So does any of this strike a nerve with you this morning? It sure does me. I've had the opportunity to, to, to dwell on these things all week long and then to put it into practice, especially in the last few days. Yeah, does it strike a nerve? Now, I don't want you to have the notion from this parable that much prayer or persistence, boldness, changes the mind of God. All right? I want us to understand that as well. I want you to know that verses 2 to 4 here is foundational to the parable and its application. That's why I had us read the context here. It's foundational because we're talking about praying for the glory of God, right? That's what is stressed here when it says, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. That's where it all begins. It's about the glory of God. Followed by praying according to his will concerning our physical and spiritual needs in our hearts and lives. So, yes, this is so important as we approach this matter. First John 5, 14 and 15, we have these words. This is the confidence which we have before him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests which we have asked from him. Isn't that something? Wow, what a promise that is. That if we pray according to his will, what? He hears us. And if he hears us, we know that we have the requests with which we have asked. Praise the Lord. As Phillips Brooks has said, Prayer is not overcoming God's reluctance. It's laying hold of His highest willingness. Yeah. And so I want you to consider with me three reasons. Three reasons from our text for being bold in prayer. And I pray and trust that it will lead you to be faithful in this key spiritual discipline. Yeah, for us as Christians... I'm hoping that you have spiritual disciplines. That daily you're in God's Word. Daily you are in prayer. Daily you are confessing your sin. Yes, this is a part of our growth, all right? And so this is an important element with which we are talking about. And just as the disciples wanted to learn from Jesus, so should we this morning. So let's look at these three reasons for having boldness in prayer. And the first one is captured there in verse 2 and in verse 13. Look what it says. And he said to them, here Jesus is speaking, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. 
Now look at the end of what Jesus had to say there in verse 13. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? What do you notice? What seems to stand out here? It's this. You should be bold in prayer because of your relationship to God. (laughs) Yeah. You should be bold in prayer because of your relationship to God. Now, we don't need to spend a lot of time on this, but I'll tell you, it is important. It's one of those points here which can easily be overlooked if you're not careful. You could just read through this without identifying that first and foremost up front. In both of these verses we just read, God is referred to as the believer's what? Father. Yeah, Father. That is, there is a special relationship with God which should inspire his children to be bold in prayer. In fact, verses 11 to 13, there Jesus declared that God will answer the request of his own in a far greater way than any earthly father meets the need of his son. And we're going to get there. That's emphasized there. I like what Jesus said to his own disciples Just before he was crucified, the night before he was crucified, John 14, verses 13 and 14, listen to these words. Whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. One of my favorite verses, and I I come to this from my own heart time and time again, and I've even shared it with God's people. In certain situations, it's Philippians 4 and verse 19. Paul says there, But my God (laughs) shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. My God will supply all your need. What a promise. Which means that if we have a need, we can come to the Lord. And what does that verse make very clear? Yeah, he will supply that. Good reason to be bold, amen? Yeah, absolutely. And yet, on the other hand, those who don't know God as their father usually do not call out to him unless they are in a foxhole experience. And that's not in all cases, but it usually is. And generally speaking, God does not hear the prayer of an unrighteous man unless it's the prayer of repentance. You might think, really? Absolutely, that's what Scripture teaches. In fact, in in Psalm 66 and verse 18, it says, If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. You can apply that both with the unbeliever and the believer. In fact, turn with me, if you would, to Proverbs 15 and verse 29. Holding your space here. Proverbs 15 and verse 29. Now, the world doesn't know these things, but we do because we know what the Scriptures have to say. Proverbs 15, verse 29. We have these words. The Lord is far from the wicked. In other words, the unbelieving. But he hears the prayer of the righteous. So yes, generally speaking, 
God does not hear the prayer of the unbeliever unless it's a prayer of repentance. And so, beloved, as his child, God wants you to draw near to him in prayer. He's delivered you from sin, your greatest need, right? Boy, amen. You came to him as a desperate beggar in need of mercy, and he pardoned you. (laughs) How much more does he long to meet your daily, physical, and spiritual needs? And so, labor boldly in prayer because of your relationship to him. That's what is stressed right up front. Don't forget that. This brings us to the next reason. Look at what Jesus went on to say after the parable. There in verses 9 and 10. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks, it will be opened. What do you notice here? (laughs) You should be bold in prayer because of the promise of God. Yeah. (laughs) You should be bold in prayer because of the promise of God. That's what we have here. These verses simply apply what Jesus said at the end of the story. There in the previous verse, verse 8, where it says, I tell you, even though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened up to you. Each of those three verbs there, ask, seek, knock, they're all in the present tense, both in verse 9 and in verse 10, which means to keep on asking, to keep on seeking, to keep on knocking. And with each of them, there's a promise, right? It will be given to you. You will find. It will be open to you. I mean, we see this a total Of six times. Do you think Jesus is trying to drive home something here with them? He is. And so the motivation to serious and persevering prayer is the guarantee and comforting assurance of God meeting our needs. Yes. You see, beloved, the reality is that God does not always give us our requests in our timing. <laughs> yeah. Often he is doing other important things in our hearts through our supplication, such as weeding out selfish desires. Yeah. Growing our faith. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Those are important, probably more important than the very thing that we're praying about. God knows. He sees all of that. Okay. However, if we truly believe that what we ask is what we need, that it is God's will and for his glory, then we're going to be bold in our requests and we will receive 
what God intends for us in his timing. James 5 and verse 16, hmm? the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Yeah. How many of you have heard of George Washington Carver? Okay, some of you have. All right. Young people, maybe you haven't, except maybe through history books. He was a black man. In the late 1800s, uh, early 1900s, he was a botanist. He was an inventor, but he was a believer. Okay? And he said these words. My prayers seem to be more of an attitude than anything else. I indulge in no lip service, but ask the great God silently, daily, and often many times a day to permit me to speak to him. I ask him to give me wisdom, understanding, and bodily strength to do his will. Hence, I am asking and receiving all the time. (laughs) Yeah, there was a man who believed in the boldness of prayer. And so, beloved, let us be bold in prayer. Because, first of all, of your relationship to God and because of the promise of God. Those are stressed in this passage of Scripture. But that's not all. I want you to see one other reason. And we see that there in verses 11 to 13. Now, suppose one of you fathers is asked by his son for a fish. He will not give him a snake instead of a fish, will he? Or if he is asked for an egg, he will not give him a scorpion, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So what do you see here? It's this. You should be bold in prayer because of the goodness of God. That's right. You should be bold in prayer because of the goodness of God. And really, this is an extension of the previous reason for boldness in prayer. It is. He's just carrying it forward. What God promises, He will do. Alright? Which demonstrates what? His goodness. He gives what is best for His children. And to help the disciples understand this, Jesus reasoned here, from the lesser to the greater. This is his argument. He's arguing from the lesser to the greater. And it's very, very powerful. He even uses bizarre examples there in verses 11 and 12 to drive home his point there in verse 13. And what is that point? If an earthly father who is evil, he's a sinner by nature, gives to his son not only what is asked, but what is good, how much more will God give to his children? Yes. I couldn't help but think of James 1 and verse 17. Yeah. Every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation Or shifting shadow. Yes, it is God in His goodness who gives us these wonderful things. Everything that we receive is from His hand. Amen? Demonstration of His goodness. 
Now, there's something interesting here that I want you to note in verse 13. Those same words there are recorded for us as well in Matthew 7 in verse 11, where we see Jesus on another occasion speaking about the Heavenly Father giving that which is good. But here in this text, he specified the good as the what? The Holy Spirit, whom he had promised. And by the way, Jesus had promised to give the Holy Spirit. John 7 in verse 39. He told his disciples that. And then later on, he's going to tell them again. We're at in those wonderful chapters of John 14 to 17. He's going to talk about the promise of the Holy Spirit. And so the point I believe the master was making here is that it's the spirit given who is the source of all rich blessings. I mean, you talk about the goodness of God. Wow. Having the spirit of God. I mean, when you need comfort, who brings you comfort? The comforter. If you need wisdom and discernment, who gives you that? The Spirit of God. First Corinthians 2. If you need strength on a day-by-day basis, who gives you that? The Spirit of God. Ephesians 3, verse 20. When you desire peace or need to grow in faith, temperance, kindness, who provides that? The Spirit of God. Galatians 5. <laughs> So yes, you talk about the goodness of God. He provides all of those things through the Spirit of God. Now you might say, well, Pastor, I get it. That's the spiritual aspect. But I want you to understand that God is even good in the physical aspects as well. You bet. Turn with me, if you would, to 1 Timothy 6, holding your space here in Luke 11. 1 Timothy 6. First Timothy 6, beginning with verse 6. Paul says to Timothy, But godliness actually is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. For we have brought nothing into the world, so we can't take anything out of it either. If we have food and covering with these, we shall be content. But those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. But notice what he went on to say in verse 17. Instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, what? who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Yes, the physical aspects of life, everything. When it comes from the hand of our God is good. What a blessing. Now, this doesn't mean that God grants our every whim, right? 
Because as I said earlier, it may be a selfish desire. I mean, that's what it says there in James 4, 2 and 3. But when it's what we truly need, God is good to always provide it. In fact, if our hearts are right with him, then we will be careful for what we ask, right? Isn't that what it says in Psalm 37 and verse 4? Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. If you're delighting yourself in the Lord, you want what God wants. And so that's what you'll be asking for. (laughs) It all comes back to his will, right? Takes away those selfish desires that are in our hearts because they get there, don't they? Sure. Sometimes we may even think in our own mind, well, this has definitely got to be God's will. But you don't see an answer to your prayer. So examine your hearts in those moments. Maybe it's a selfish desire. Or God is just wanting you to wait on him (laughs) as he continues to work his will out in your hearts and lives through all of that. And so, beloved, there is no need to worry about God taking care of his own. He's promised to do so even beyond what we ask or think. That's what it says there in Ephesians 3. In fact, if you would, take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. You're familiar with these words? Words of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. I want you to follow what it says there in verse 25 and 26. Jesus says, For this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor for your body as to what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air that they do not sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? Now go down to verse 31. Do not worry then, saying, what will we eat? Or what will we drink? Or what will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all those things. You bet they do. But your heavenly Father knows that you need all those things. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And what does it say there? And all these things shall be added unto you. And so take courage and be bold in prayer and experience the rich blessings of God's goodness. Yeah. You know, I trust that this has been helpful to you as it certainly has been for me in the last week. It was good to even study this throughout the week and just getting those principles in my heart. Because you know, so many times you can be in certain situations and what happens What dictates your thinking? It's everything that's going on around you. But in those moments, I want to preach to my circumstances. (laughs) Yeah, preach to my own heart what God's word says so that I know what his word says and follow it. I truly believe that your relationship with God, the promise of God and the goodness of God will keep you bold in prayer. 
Listen to these words from John 15 and verse 7. If you abide in me and my words, did you catch that? My words abide in you. Ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Because if God's word is abiding on your heart, what are you going to be asking for? What he wants. (laughs) Yeah. You know, back when my wife and I were first married, we didn't have money. (laughs) We were scraping to get by. And it was a couple months after we were married. And uh, before the winter set in, we wanted somebody to come in and check our furnace and and they did, and they told us, oh, you got a small leak. There's carbon monoxide poisoning, and you're going to have to have a new furnace. How much is that going to be? About 2500 to 3000 Oh. And then about three days later, our washer and dryer went out. I mean, it was like, oh, boy. Oh, what are we going to do? We didn't have money. So I had to borrow it, you know. And then I'm sitting here wondering, boy, I, I know this is something that we need. Uh Well, where's that money going to come from? And so my wife and I just, yeah, as we had, made it a matter of prayer. Banking on what it says in Philippians (laughs) 4.19. My God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. We were claiming that. And you wouldn't believe how the Lord answered our prayer. Yeah, about a week later, a guy at my job got sick. He couldn't work for a month. And so my boss... I came to work one day and he says, look it, would you like to work some overtime for like about a month? Uh, yeah, give me all of the hours. <laughs> and so our, our furnace and, and our washer and dryer was pretty much taken care of after a month's time. The Lord provided in that way. I can even remember when I was at seminary. I think I've shared this with you before, but uh, Marlene uh, had a tumor that had to be removed and... Um, uh, it was going to cost about twenty eight thousand dollars to $30,000 to have that done. No, we're going to seminary. Okay, well, where does that come from? And uh, thankfully, too, we had insurance. Uh, the insurance that I had was a good insurance. I mean, you pay the first $1,000 out of pocket, and the rest is 100% covered. I still had to come up with $1,000. Once again, my wife and I had learned, we just take this to the Lord. It's, it's something we need, you know. We claim Philippians 4.19, and we did. About a week after that, I went into my mailbox there at the, the seminary, and I pull out an envelope with 10 $100 bills. To this day, I don't know where that came from. I have no idea. It's paid for. And uh, I remember calling the gentleman who was supporting my way through school and telling him about it, and I said, I wanted to thank him. He was the only one I thought of that knew about our situation and would have done that. He said, no, I didn't do that. He says, Kirk, I have no idea who did that. But praise the Lord. Yeah. Some of you can give testimonies to that very thing. But we need reminders like this, don't we? Because we easily forget. I found myself forgetting that this week even with my wife's situation. And I had to preach God's truth to my own heart, the very truth that I've been studying on all week long. God is faithful because of our relationship to him, because of his promise, 
and because of his goodness. Just remember those truths, beloved, and be bold in prayer. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word this morning. What a joy it is to to study it and to apply it. God, your purposes are being accomplished in all of our lives this morning. And yet we find ourselves in these situations being self-sufficient. But God, you have a way of bending our knee and causing us to depend on you. We're thankful this morning that you know better than us. Help us to know these truths this morning in our hearts and apply them for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.